and we're live. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of The Rally Call. Now, The Rally Call is a podcast about professional selling and also about surviving the corporate environment. I'm John Feldman, and with me today is my cohort, Andrew Smith. Good day, everybody. Uh, today, we're going to talk about setting your course as a seller, somebody who has identified sales as being a, uh, a career that they want to embark on. And before we talk about, you know, getting into you know, what companies that you should pick or um, the type of experience that you should look for, we're going to talk about the DNA of a good seller. Now, Andrew, look, together we have hired uh, a number of people in our, uh, in our careers. What, what um, I'd like to share with the audience the four key elements of a successful seller. Yeah, yeah. So these are things that, uh, traits that I think it don't necessarily need to be hugely above average or really strong, but they needs to be something to work with there in these traits. And, and those traits are curiosity, urgency, resiliency, and coachability. And these all need to be present in a seller uh, in some level of development if you're going to have a chance at a, a long and profitable career. So let's, let's, uh, let's unpack them each and, and uh, get into a little bit about uh, those topics. And I, and I agree. I, I wholeheartedly agree that those are the four key elements. Um, talk to me a little bit about curiosity and maybe you can share an example of, uh, of a time you saw a seller use just like really effective, genuine curiosity to, uh, to understand what was going on in that account. Yeah. So curiosity is always wanting to know a little bit more, right? Is this insatiable desire to know more about what's happening, more about the business problem you're trying to solve, more about the company, about the culture, how whatever you're selling can, can, can help them. Um, I had a, I had a seller, uh, in one of my last sales management jobs who was endlessly curious about everything about his, his customers, prospects, their company, their families, what's going on in their life. And he did it in a, a non-obtrusive way. He didn't, it wasn't like he was invading people's personal space, but he was genuinely interested in them. And when you're interested in other people and interested in how things work at a company, they'll, people will tell you if you do it in the right way. And so it's, it's not just about, I need to know more about the qualification of this opportunity. I need to know more about the, the, the decision maker, or the buying process, or the things you get taught in sales methodology. It's about knowing more to connect more deeply with people and being interested in other people. I think that's what's underneath the curiosity is a requirement to be in successful in sales is you have to at least be interested in other people, right? Whether they're strange, good or bad, you need you need this desire to go out and meet people and and be interested in the type. Yeah, of I I, uh, I I would agree. And there's a there's an old saying, right? They. Uh, They'll never know how much you care until you show how much you care. And when you take a genuine curiosity of, of A, that person, and B, the situation that they're going through, they recognize that. 
they absolutely recognize that. And it's like, it's a strategic differentiation between you and maybe another option that they might choose to solve that business issue. But it's, it's, uh, it's something that when all the cards are on the table and they're looking at all the options, they come back to that person who is genuinely interested and curious to see what was going on and how they can uniquely solve it. What about, what about urgency? Where, where do you see urgency coming? Right. And, and sales is, it's like a, like in a sport, there's a clock, right? It's whether it's a quarter or a month or a year, there's a clock that's ticking down. Every day counts, every minute counts, every second counts. As a seller, it's important that you immediately act upon things, right? You do it right, you do it now, you do it right fucking now. Whatever you can to to move that uh, move that opportunity forward. So, urgency is you can see it in the way that people people hold themselves, people, the way they walk, the way they talk. Do they respond to your email tomorrow or do they do it right away? Do they, are are they just waiting to react at a later date or are they acting right away? And you can see this in companies too, where the collective behavior either has some urgency or it doesn't, right? And when you, you submit, say you submit requests to get things done internally and you don't get a reply and it doesn't get done and they'll say, yeah, I'll, I'll get to it at some point. It sends this signal to everybody that that's, that's kind of how it's done here, right? Yeah. Like just you know, take it easy. So that's not going to work in sales. Customers want someone. They're thinking in the back of their head that if something goes wrong, is this person going to help me, right? And how are they going to be good at helping me? And if you're not, you don't show a sense of urgency, they're not going to think that you're going to care when it really matters. Yeah, it's, uh, I share with my sales teams that, that sales is like tennis, right? You're going to hit a ball and you're going to want the ball hit back to you. And like when you're young in your sales career, sometimes you don't really care where you hit that ball. You just want to hit it. So are you making like the best strategic move on your next move? But as you get better, it's like, hey, I know I got to return the shot. I know I got to be quick in my in my response, but I also know it has to be at the corner of the baseline. So that's where they gain the experience. But I do agree with you on corporate cultures, and we'll probably talk about this in a subsequent episode. But nobody moves, in my experience, nobody moves or wants to move as fast as the sales team. So you go up to your legal team, right? It gets behind a queue. Well, how are you deciding what contract to look at? Is it by the brand name? Is it by the expansion possibility? Is it by the person that you're dealing with? Is it the deal size? Most companies use deal size, but but I mean I'm not I'm not fully bought in that it should be it, that it should be deal size. But I've seen sometimes where you ask for a uh, finance approval and it'll sit there for two days at quarter end. It's like you know what is it the the old adage right the weakest link in the chain right. Mm-hmm. But uh, but for some sellers who have that like innate urgency, like I love it when I hear like come back in the office and it's Q4 and like the they've sent back their red lines, the prospect and the rep is already there at seven o'clock in the morning waiting for legal to come in to say, hey, can we review this now? That to me is a is a is a seller with, uh, yeah. with urgency. It, inevitably, you will have to push it a bit too far and make people feel uncomfortable. Right. So I've never, I've never given, uh, any, uh, shit to a rep because 
they pissed off legal, right? Like they, they pushed them too far. They were too aggressive or whatever. It's like, great. That's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Right. I don't want them to, to be rude or, or <clears throat> make it personal, but I want them to push it as far as they can. And you don't know how far you can push it until you go too far. Yeah. Right? It's uh, that's like the adage of sales, right? It's, it's being comfortable with being uncomfortable yeah. every single day. Yeah. Um, resiliency. You are going to be out there with feeling like you're in, wandering the desert sometimes alone, scared, uh, with no friends. And, uh, you have to be okay with that. You have to be okay with things not going your way and dealing with pressure and maintaining your composure during that during that time right because like the worst the, one of the worst things you can do you say the pipeline is not where it needs to be and then you start to to focus on deals that you shouldn't focus on right so you're you're you don't have much to work on, so you work on what you have, which isn't great, and you try to make it great, and it'll never be great. These are bad deals. You shouldn't be working them. And normally, if you had a big pipeline, you wouldn't, but here you are. So you have to have this the ability to stay with the system that you have that works, to keep to have faith in yourself, and to have faith in your habits. And that's part of resiliency, because everyone's going to go through a bad period where whatever, the territory is not producing what it needs, they're not, what they're doing isn't working, and you have to be able to fight through that. Yeah, there's there's uh, so many times in my career where you've seen uh, sellers go on a good run. I used to have this manager who used to say, yeah, they're on a good run, but let's see how they handle themselves when the bad run. Yeah. What do they do? How are they going to yeah. respond? Like you, I've seen so many sellers that are, they're your best friend when when everything is going well and they're great around the office and they're all smiles and chuckles and when things don't go their way they turn sour and they're negative and they're they're a bad influence on other people and they're a pain in the ass to deal with right and they don't accept that this stuff happens to everybody and you work your way through it and you think you have to think about okay what am i doing wrong that i could change right you have to have a calm mind to get to the point where you're, you're asking questions like that. So you have to be resilient enough to do that. Yeah. And, and recognize that, that you constantly have to do the hard work. Yeah. You yeah. constantly have to, you take 10 no's, great, try again. One's going to, one's yeah. going to be a yes. I've hired people from other organizations that were very successful companies and then they plateaued into being a big company. And then they came to our, our company, which was, more of a startup style organization at the time. And they're coming off big success and they've never had it hard, right? Yeah. They've never had a, a difficult territory to work with. They've never had difficult customers. They've never had some insane level of competition suddenly appear and they can't handle it. And they, they think that it shouldn't be this way. What, why is it this way? They don't have resiliency because they've never been through a really difficult time. So I... When I look at someone to hire, I I try to look in their past where they've oh, had yeah. to really struggle through Absolutely. something, right? Great like point. and and not just not just like um like a career in the in their career, but in their life, yes. right? So if you look at some organizations, they 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 tend to hire the same type of people, right? Like if I went to this type of school, then I hire people from the similar type of school. And I've been in organizations where everyone went to a 
private university and had a specific kind of ba- like a background where it doesn't appear like they really struggled, right? Yeah, sure, you have to work hard to get good grades and get into a good school. But I've also worked at companies where people came out of like small resource-based towns with high unemployment mm-hmm. or trailer parks yeah. or really hard places and just clawed their way out. And I'd take them over the yeah, yeah. the elite educated any day. Yeah, great. Because they have that grit. They just have that determination. So it's like, there is no plan B. I will be Exactly. Successful. There's no plan B, right? And, and, and that's what some of these people that have never experienced resiliency yeah. are, are hoping for is, well, something's going to change. Like, no, it's not. It's you. That's yeah. Absolutely. And, and then finally, coachability, which is probably a pretty obvious one. Yeah, coachability is the the ability to accept that there are things about you and uh, your skills that other people can give you advice on and that you need to act upon. And if you can't take feedback, if you can't accept it and work that into your own development, it'll be difficult for you to be successful. Maybe maybe you're better off being a solo entrepreneur and, and do that kind of job because in order to be successful in in the software game, you have to look to the mentors and the masters who have been doing this and learn from them and learn what works. Things change over time, but there are some fundamental truths that endure in sales, in yeah, software say, sales. Too. I say that all the time. As soon as you think that you've got this game licked and you understand it all, it's the, it's the time for you to get out. Yeah. It really is because there is it's going to change on you in an instant. But... You know, I like um, I like good, young, motivated sellers who lead with, I just want to get better at my craft. And look, from a management point of view, as a leadership point of view, for all of the sales leaders out there, you have to understand that you are one thing and one thing only. You are a coach. You are somebody who is there to take somebody in their career journey and make them better. And if they stay with your organization, great. If they get promoted, great. If they leave the organization for something that's better for their career, great. But you're a conduit to success. And you're going to have to deal with people who are stubborn. And you're going to have to deal with people who are open. And uh, like, I'll, I'll take will any day uh, over skill. So look, we, we've exhausted the, the, the four key attributes we would call somebody uh, who would be ideal or good in a in a sales in a sales role? So they've checked the box, and now they're going to embark on choosing a company uh, where they're going to go and 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 kick it off. Uh, what kind of experience should they be looking for? Where where should they go? Small company, startup company, medium sized organization. What, what does it look like? Right. So you've decided you got these four attributes and you're going to give it a go. So where should you go to start off? Well, that a lot of it depends on where you, where you're living, what opportunities are available to you. It, let's just say you're in a, an urban area where there's, there's industry, there's software companies to, to join. I would join a place where you're going to learn a system, right? You cannot expect or should not expect at the beginning of your sales career that you you pick a company based on the income potential, right? People who offer you way more than you think you should be making at that point are, are probably selling you a dream. 
So what you should be looking for is a place where you can learn if, you, if you're just starting out. Because admit it, you don't have the scale, the skills yet. They're not developed. And you need to get into a development program. So a great example of this would be Xerox, right? Selling photocopiers is no one, no one grows up dreaming, I want to sell photocopiers or, or whatever it is Xerox sells these days. But they've had this sales organization and this development for probably 50 years now where they teach people the basics of sales, the basics of prospecting, the basics of giving presentation. You, it's, you come out of Xerox with a much better set of skills than you go in with. Right. You're not going to make you're probably not going to make huge amounts of money. Um, you probably won't impress potential partners with your tales of Xerox, but you will come out with some good skills. And that is the one thing I would look for. Yeah, it's uh, and we do have a suggestion and it's going to come up, but we're just going to hold back a little bit because this is really important. I've seen uh, people who are getting into into sales and they're just looking for a job and they're not looking for the job and this is a potential mistake you have to be strategic with your career in fact if i could go back at the beginning of my career i would be way more knowing what i know now i'd be way more strategic so what would you do differently what what was not strategic about your early career well, tell, this, tell me about that and this is this is this is and i'm sure a lot of people are in this but there's there's people who have the luxury of taking the job and then there's people who have to take a job what's now, the job and a job okay tell so the job is the one that i took my time to find whether it took three months or six months it was an excellent fit it was good for me and i thought it through as opposed to being in the position of graduating university right being under a, a bit of pressure for having to pay back your student loans living in your own place and having financial obligations where you didn't have that luck yeah. to wait three to six months. So I took a job. Yeah. And man, I could if I could go back, I would rather take a loan for whatever money I needed for that six months or that three months or whatever that time frame is, and I would have spent my time on the job. And like don't chase money and don't chase earning potential when 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 you're young. I think you hit the nail on the head. What you have to chase what you have to really look for in your next organization is, can I become the best seller at that company because they have successful people there, they'll coach and train you, right? And they will invest in you as a, as a professional. Because a lot of these organizations that you go to and sell are just like, here's the product, here's Bant, good luck. And there's a little bit of training and a little bit of coaching. It's the opposite. So. Andrew, share with us, um, what was your first sales company? What did it look like for you? Well, my first sales company was a job, not the job. Yeah. I did not have the luxury of sitting around trying to find a great company to work for. I needed to pay the rent. So my first, uh, my first sales job, uh, besides selling long distance phone plans in a, in a seller's, was uh, at a small consulting shop in Victoria, British Columbia. It's about a hundred people working there. They provided outsourced IT services to the provincial government at the time. And my job, they said in the interview, was knocking on doors from one end of the city to the other. And quite liter literally, that is what I did. I 
I made $24,000 a year, including bonuses. And I went around the city trying to sell network support services, education services, anything that could be outsourced. There was no, absolutely no sales methodology other than close some business. Um, there, there was no structure. I, I didn't even know if this was what, it, I, I thought this was what sales was actually like, just driving around and knocking, like literally knocking on doors and pitching people on stuff. And I didn't know that it could be different. And, um, I started taking some sales training on the side and I realized that there's a lot more to this than, than what I'm doing here. And, uh, it, I could have stayed there. They were very family oriented business it was owned by two people that were active and, and part of the business, but there weren't any real a players there, right? Everybody was working eight thirty to like literally to four four fifteen. At four fifteen, there was a huge exodus out of the building, and everyone would go home. And I didn't want to be like that. I, I wanted more, so I realized I had to go and find the job. And that's when I got into my head that I was like, okay, there are career-making companies that you can join that are going to transform your life and transform your career. This is obviously not one of them. And I could carry on like this, but I do want to make that transformation. So, yeah. if, if, uh, if you look at it, it's, it's where, if you have the luxury to take and look for the job, take the one that is going to coach you and invest in you. And I, I would fully, fully agree with that. Yeah. Um, so- I, I would say one thing that you got to be careful of is, and I mentioned this before, is the money, right? The money should be, it should be competitive, but you shouldn't make the decision only on the money, right? Because there's short-term money and there's long-term money and you have to be careful about that. So the best company to start with and, and we'll, we'll share it. it yeah. And this is, and this is my opinion, but this is, you know, this is a uh, 22 years in, in high tech sales is, is a recognized name that you can put on your resume. It can show that if you have a good successful tenure there that you've learned and you've grown there, and uh, a place where you can grow and get a solid baseline of what industry standards of what good looks like. What does good look like? Yeah. Uh, you go to come like your your point on Xerox is 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 so important. The processes are excellent. The training and the investment is uh, at that time was uh, was excellent. So when I when I started off. I got into sales. I was working for a regional uh, VAR value-added reseller in uh, in technology. I, I was li- I don't even know if you could call it sales. I was literally like the phone would ring, an account would say, "I need a fifty-two pin SCSI cable." I would look it up. I would call Ingram Micro. They would say how much, and I would send the quote. Right, and I'm I'm. It was like, it, it was it to me. It was like the the sheer definition of boredom, but. I saw what was going on around me and I also realized like I'm never going to grow in this organization. But lucky for me, one of my uh, one of my vendors that I dealt with was a company of a very, very fast growing company here in Vancouver called Seagate Software. Um, and she referred me to the organization. 
And what people have to understand is that Seagate Software, from what I was told anyway, this is the lore. It could not be true. It may be true. But it was the fastest growing company uh, under $200 million at the time. So it's like 2000 Right. Yeah, like in the world. I believe or... it was North America. Yeah, but you know what? The story could have changed. It might even be the world. I don't yeah. know. But it's lore, as I say. Um, but when I got there, and they started to put you through the sales methodology training, and you saw the processes of like taking apart a deal, and you saw how the territories were structured, and you saw like how you had a regional VP and a director and a team of salespeople and how the rigor on the forecasting was and the business case that you had to create in order for a quote to go out or the or the the level of curiosity that you had to understand in regards to that account to be successful it was like night and day but the mm. skill set that a large company will in will input in you in, in your career is the foundation in my opinion for the long-term success that you will have for the rest of your career yeah yeah like Contrast that to my first, my first gig where I had to beg to be included in this sales training thing that I did at night, not even during work hours, right? I did it at night and the company wasn't happy about the cost. And you contrast that with any reputable organization that you'd want to work with where they require you to go through sales training. They invest heavily in you, right? That's the huge difference. That's what you have to look for is a company that will invest in your skills. Like you need, you need to understand what professional grade looks like. And that, and, and Crystal Seagate, that was my first glimpse of this is what professional looks like. Yeah. Right. I'd never seen it before, even though I learned later that a lot of those processes were loose and wrong and not working at all. And there was a lot of problems in the back office, but to me, that was what professional looked like. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it gave us a really good baseline of, uh, of how we should behave and how we're going to get better. But the constant investment that they've given you for you sellers out there who are thinking that this is a career thing for you, yes, that startup that's going to give you 35,000 shares at a $1.5 billion valuation and you're 100 people now, but oh, just wait until we're 1,000 people, look, you know, there's a million stories like that. You know, I think we've probably beaten this point to death, but go to the organization, that large company, that medium to large size company that's going to uh, invest in you. And look, we're going to divulge a little bit here is that there's a lot to share with once you get into that organization. It's a game, how you're going to behave, um, who you're going to need to liaise with and who you're going to need to to stay away with. I mean... Just selling is one aspect of of your career. Managing your career within the walls is um, is a, is a whole other skill set. But you know, before we uh, before we ended, Andrew, how did how did you land into sales in the first place? Like, of all of the things that people can do, like people go to school to become doctors, they go to school to become lawyers and and engineers. Like, nobody ever do people wake up and go like. I am going to become a professional sales person. Like, how did you land in here? Maybe some people wake up thinking that I was not one of them. It was never, ever on my radar that I would work in sales. And the reason that I ended up is in sales is I needed to get a job. 
and I didn't have any marketable skills. I had no professional designation like lawyer, doctor, engineer, what accountant. And a family friend, one of my dad's old time friends, gave me advice about how the world will always need good salespeople. He was a successful entrepreneur, but ran the sales for his his uh, his organization. And said, just try it out. Get some sales experience. It's the best thing that you can do. So I did. And that's how I ended up flogging long distance phone plans and his Zellers. And just adapting myself to this mentality that, okay, I've got to go out and sell 10 phone plans in a Zellers in a small area of the Zellers where I'm allowed to walk. And Waking up every day thinking, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? And figuring it out and putting yourself in an uncomfortable position. And I I learned really quickly that if you did, if I just followed this person's plan in the script, a certain number of these converted, right? It was like magic. All I had to do was follow. It's like, oh my God, this actually works, Mm -hmm. right? I didn't feel good about it. I hated doing it, but it's like, this this does actually work. Mm -hmm. And so I thought this is a way that I can at least pay my rent, live a life. Uh, I can get my life started because previous to that, I was just being a ski bum and whistler and not really doing anything with my life. And I was able to translate that into getting hired at a, a better place at a consulting organization. And I was consistently able to grow that into a better job at a better company. And it was the, the, I think that I don't have the natural extroversion that a lot of salespeople have. So I'd say more of an ambivert than an extrovert, but I had this curiosity to always figure out how do these systems work? How can it work better? How can I make this sales process more successful, more effective? And that's what, what attracted me to it was testing out ideas and then seeing it turn in, into reality. And that's something that you get to do in sales you don't do in a lot of other uh, a lot of other uh, jobs is you can test out theories quickly mm-hmm. and see how they, t- they turn out. And so that's how I got started is, is working at the, at the consulting shop. And then I was able to translate that in a job at Maximizer in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And that was um, 1998, 99, the dot-com era. People were buying tons of software and it was easy to answer the phone and, and, go through a script that I had on my cubicle wall and flip CRM software for $99 a pop. Yeah. yeah. And those were good times. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's um, it, it, your story is, is similar to mine is when, you know, I graduated from university and then I went and I took a, another two years uh, at a, uh, at a local college here just to get like, you know, real world skilled job, uh, job experience. And I came out and I still had like, I had no idea, but I had, but I had the four attributes that we talked about and, and I legitimately did. And I think that that's why a sales uh, career for me now in sales management has been good because I, I, I personally identify now I don't have, uh, I have strengths that are higher and lower in those four. And for me, my, mine was always urgency. That's that. I mean, I, it was sort of, it's, I'm wired that way. And um, I graduated and uh, I had a group of friends and there was always this one guy. 
It's always one guy. There's always one guy, and he was flashy, and he was confident. He wore great clothes, and he drove a cool car. And I was like, what does he do? Like, what, how does he have all of this money? Like, we're young guys. And a uh, friend says, well, he's in, uh, he's in tech sales, right? So I got to be, uh, I actually owe him uh, my career because he actually got me started in this because I saw, and this is like, you know, I think we talked about don't chase the money or don't chase that. But I saw that he was able to provide himself with a really good life if you were good at what you did. Yeah. And he was very good at what he did and he gave himself a really good life and still does to this day. So, I had somebody in my my sales training class when I was in that company in Victoria. Yeah. She drove this Flash M5. Yeah. And I thought, "Oh my god. She's in the same class as me and she's driving an M5." Wow. This might be something too. Yeah. So I, I literally strive to say like, "Okay, help me." He helped me get my first job at that bar that we spoke about, a regional bar here in Vancouver. And from there, my career, my career took off, right? It, it, from Crystal and to the other tech companies that, that we look for. But is, uh, and, I, and I never thought that I would actually go on to say, hey, I'm going to be a professional sales person. Um, but in, in graduating and having to choose where you would go, that's just where I, that I went to. And I guess the moral of the story is, is that I think more people should think about professional sales from a career point, even before they get into university yeah. or they take that college thing. Like yeah. it's one of those careers. It's really strange. It's like people have a ton of respect for the engineer. They have a ton of respect for, uh, for the doctor or the lawyer. Right. And this isn't to say that like it's it, to be ostentatious about the, about the industry at all, but you can get paid like a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer in sales. You absolutely, you absolutely can. But for the message out there is that this should be more of a legitimate career, a more of a legitimate choice out of college than than you would think it is. Because how many of these how many of these colleges or universities actually have a four year course on becoming a professional salesperson? None. None. So I was going to bring up when you talked about graduating from university and then having to go back to get some what you call real world applicable skills. And that really resonated with me because I graduated from university with a degree in political science, which translated into no marketable skills, right? And I, I'm not looking for the degree to give me something that I don't have myself, but it didn't prepare me for any specific job. And, and I, I think that sales skills should be taught, not, not just in university, should be taught in high school, yeah. right? The ability to persuade the ability to articulate a value proposition the ability to solve problems should be taught early on and i think universities definitely perhaps part in the in the in the the business schools at the universities they could offer a sales degree because uh but then again i don't think you need to go and spend all that money at a university just to get a sales degree right i don't think you need everything that a university also puts on top of it yeah to get a sales degree. That's why you had the the course that you went to that other places offer these courses about basic sales, right? What are the basic sales skills? And uh, it also brings up the point of education. When you're hiring someone, do you even care about their education? You know, it, remember university, uh, university degree is a must. It's like, really? Yeah, yeah. When, when was the last time you saw that on a job? 
posting, right? University degree. Yeah. So I, I'm not, I'm not criticizing education, I, but I, I, I do think universities need to adapt to uh, some new realities. It's just not relevant in sales, right? And I think, and I think that's kind of why I never gravitated towards it. Is I, I grew up in a family where my parents pushed education on us, and getting a degree was really important, and probably for their bragging rights more than my own benefit. And you, the sales was one of those jobs anyone could do. Like I knew people that had graduated from high school with me and didn't go to any further education right? Just went into a sales job, right? Yeah. They were selling stereo or whatever, right? And you'd think, oh my God, you hear what happened to Eddie? He's selling stereos. I'm like, yeah, well, I'm going to you know, university getting drunk five nights a week. Yeah. And he's <laughs> learning like marketable skills. And he's actually yeah. making money. Yeah. Look, uh, you know, before we end it, I, I want to share about the motivation <coughs> to start this uh, podcast. And maybe, maybe we should have done that at the beginning. But really what it is, is a lot of people who are generally interested in this industry or, or trying to get into this industry um, to to learn how to avoid the landmines that, that, that I stepped on or, or you stepped on. It's like, if there's a clear path that we can help you with or you can learn a little bit about how to how to behave and how to conduct yourself in a corporate organization or, or how to sell and the things that you gotta watch for and the, to manage your career and manage yourself, that's really the basis uh, of this. And it, it comes from the heart, and I'll, I'll explain to you why. Is that is Andrew and I, were, I'm, I'm, we're both sales leaders, right? Like that's, that's, that's who we are at heart. And I, I take my team extremely, uh, extremely um, seriously. Their careers to me matter. And I literally, in, in, a, in an interview yesterday with someone, I, I actually told him, like, you know what, you probably should stay at your current job. Yeah, I, I take off my VP of sales hat and I say, I'm just going to talk to you as someone who's been in the industry for a while. Here's my here's my my honest feedback of what I think that you should do at in in the juncture where where you are. And um, I think it's important that that people who have been through a couple of decades of this industry start to share their experiences and their life lessons with people who are just getting into it or people who find themselves in one of the situations that we'll talk about in subsequent episodes. But anyway, look, today we talked about the key motivations of a seller from a, from a career standpoint of, uh, of the things that you have to have that, that would indicate that you would be successful in this career. Uh, we talked about um, the motivations and the career standpoint of why you're going to get into this even in the first place what a good job looks like or what a good a good first job would look like for you and it's you know i think andrew and i are in agreement here it's an organization large or medium size that is going to invest in you and your skill set first and foremost like first and foremost like take as much as you can from that experience there's got to be a players there there's got to be veterans there there's got to be people who have won the stanley cup at that organization so to speak in the next episode, we're going to talk about something really important. And it's, so you're in that company and it is the job, not a job. And once again, look, if, if there's anybody listening today that's considering this, uh, this career, hold out for the job, don't pick a job. But we're going to talk about the game and we're going to define what the game is. And more importantly, managing your career like an expert seller. Until next time, I'm John. I'm Andrew. And we'll see you at the rally call.